0: Hey there, good morning, it's Paige Browning. It's Wednesday, this is Seattle Now. An auto body shop owner from rural Washington is getting oriented in the halls of Congress this week. Democrat Marie Glusenkamp Perez was not expected to win her race in Southwest Washington, but that's what she did. Meanwhile, Republican candidate Joe Kent has not conceded. We'll chat with reporter Troy Brennelson of Oregon Public Broadcasting about how Perez pulled off this upset. But first, let's get you caught up. Two teens remain in juvenile detention today for charges related to the deadly shooting at Ingram High School. The 15-year-old accused of possessing the gun used in the shooting was hoping to be released while the process unfolds, but a judge denied that request yesterday. He'll be back in court again next week. We also learned that a decision on whether to try the 14-year-old charged with murder as an adult won't come until February. The app where people buy and sell used goods, OfferUp, is about to tighten its belt. GeekWire reports the Bellevue-based company plans to lay off 19% of staff. With a lot of home cleanouts in the pandemic, the tech company grew rapidly similar to Amazon and Meta and is valued at over a billion dollars. But the CEO tells employees their headcount outpaced revenue. And finally, your raincoat is probably having some FOMO this week. SeaTac's rain monitor, it's dry, has been for seven days and is expected to be for another five. SeaTac is behind on its usual November rainfall by more than an inch.
1: Democrat Marie Glusenkamp-Perez has defeated Trump-backed Republican Joe Kent in the nationally watched race for the Southwest Washington 3rd Congressional District.
0: That was KUOW's Angela King announcing Marie Glusenkamp-Perez's win in Washington's District 3 congressional race. Hers was one of the biggest upsets of the midterms so unpredicted that 538 gave her opponent, Republican Joe Kent, a 98% chance of winning the seat. But against all odds, and Camp perez flipped a seat from red to blue in a surprise win for House Democrats. Oregon Public Broadcasting's Troy Brennelson covered the campaigns and is here to take a closer look with us. Thanks for being here, Troy.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Paige.
0: So Scenic District 3 in Washington spans the state's southern border, farm and timberland, some coastline, and includes an urban core, Vancouver, and it's been red for more than a decade. How do you think and Camp perez broke through and caused one of the biggest upsets of the midterms?
1: Yeah, I think that her campaign really billed her as like a rural Democrat, and they had hoped I think, from the outset to try and make up a lot of gains as a Democrat, but among the district's rural constituents. They were definitely trying to put a lot of emphasis on places like Cowlitz County, Lewis County, places that Democrats don't historically win. And in fact, they did not quite make the gains that they thought they were going to make there. But it just so happens that they really made up for it in Clark County, which is largely more leaning Democrat than anywhere else in the district. Uh, It's the closest to the Portland metropolitan area. And here so far, she had been leading Kent by about 11 points, which amounted to about 22,000 votes. And so she was really able to overcome where she was lagging elsewhere in the district by winning Clark County.
0: And she has talked a lot about that in the lead up to the election. And now in the aftermath, winning Republican voters over. Is there evidence of that happening based on the voting results or maybe comparing it to other races?
1: Yeah, there is. You know, I said earlier that uh, Clark County definitely leans Democratic, but there's also a pretty strong history here of suburban Republicans. And as you were kind of alluding to there, we can look at the ballot results here just in Clark and see that there were at least 8,000 people who voted for Republican Senate candidate Tiffany Smiley, who did not vote for Kent. And so just talking about voters, only voters, it's clear that there are a certain sect of Republicans in Clark County and in this district whose message Kent did not resonate with.
0: Hmm. I wanna talk about the district. There was a perception that this is a deep red district, an easy win for Republicans again, and the National Democratic Party was really focused on other races, hardly giving Glusenkamp Perez any attention or money until toward the end of this race. So I'm wondering, Troy, can you explain who is District 3 looking at the history of their politics?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. When I think about this district, it's, it's not a monolith. There are a lot of different types of voters here, and perhaps maybe that's why it's sort of hard to pin down You were kind of describing this the scenery changes a little bit earlier, because if you go out there's a lot of natural resources industries here from the coast, all the way up to I five you've got timber country you've got former aluminum plants you've got uh, paper products. These are historically democrat leaning because they were largely driven by Union jobs and Union strength, but now. Those areas that we're describing, which aren't the you know uniformly across the district, but those areas, are leaning conservative. That's not always the case. Pacific County tends to be a place that we would associate also having some of these strong union ties. But Camp Perez did very well there. And then, kind of closer to the to the Interstate Five, you've got a little bit more of a metro forming. We've talked a lot about Clark County already. That's certainly much more of an urban and suburban voter. And then I guess it gets rural again as you dip out into Skamania County. These voters, they're obviously they were leaning very heavily on Herrera-Butler for the last decade, like we've been talking about. But this district also was Democrat before then. So it's often been described as a very purple district. It lives up to that name in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's just a, a broad cross-section, I would say.
0: Hmm. As you were covering this race, what were you hearing from voters? Did you get any sense that this seat could flip? Did they have a sense of that?
1: Yeah, see, that's funny because it's the same thing here where depending on who you're talking to, you're going to hear very different priorities. I think amongst Republicans, there continues to be a, a very heavy emphasis on the economy, on inflation. These were the issues that were very important to them. Also, issues around this feeling that the federal government often overreaches on regulation that has hurt industries, has hurt the unions that we're talking about. If you ask Democrats, there were certainly more discussions around – there were still those discussions around the economy and inflation, but there were also more discussions around the Dobbs decision, the impacts on uh, what that meant for reproductive rights. And in a similar way – A discussion around the federal government, you know, what role that they have to play in our daily lives. There was more concern around the integrity of our institutions, like democracy and elections. Those were certainly important issues to voters. I would say some of the things that were common between these two candidates was an emphasis on the working class. That was one of the few places of overlap where they really seemed to share a lot is this concern of, for these union jobs and these communities that have historically had very strong industries there, how do we continue to support them and ensure that they're getting family wage jobs?
0: Let's move on to talk about the Republican in this race, Joe Kent, who was endorsed by Trump. He came in and knocked the 12 year Republican incumbent, Jamie Herrera Butler, out of the race entirely. How did Kent and staff run their campaign then? What was their approach to winning in the general election?
1: That's a really good question, because I would say their campaign in the general was exactly the same as their campaign from the very beginning. I mean, they were consistently a far-right conservative uh, platform where a lot of their messaging was around the same sorts of issues that you hear you know, election integrity. Kent was very openly de- uh, denied the results of the 2020 election. Um, he w- took a hardline stance on immigration. He would sometimes, uh, he, like I, we've talked a lot about this overlap with the economy, but that was one of the few places I would say where he was sort of less extreme in how far to the right he was. So in the general, after he Unseats successfully Herrera-Butler, there was some speculation down here that he might try to hew towards the center a little bit, but he never did that, even as Marie Glucin-Kent Perez was actively, as we've talked about, starting to court Republicans. She was getting support from uh, people who benefited Herrera-Butler. There was 49,000 voters who supported Herrera-Butler in the primary that were just sitting there, and Kent never really seem to try and meet them in the middle. Uh, and that, I think, is what the Gluson-Kent Perez campaign would point to as to one of the main reasons why they were able to dig this out. It was because they made the efforts to come closer to the middle, ran a very left-of-center campaign while Kent stuck to his guns.
0: And I want to point out that Kent has not conceded in this race and he's been putting up social media posts about waiting for votes to be counted and waiting for challenge ballots to have uh, maybe an incorrect signatures corrected and be counted, etc. Meanwhile, Camp Perez has not wasted a single minute. She flew to D.C. almost as soon as this race was called. She's been in the capital, meeting Congress members and getting oriented. Here she is on CNN from D.C.
1: Well, I mean, your your priorities are different the way that you live. You know, I live on a gravel road. I get my water from a well. I get my Internet from a radio tower. I mean, that changes the way that you look yeah. at the world. I. I'm one of the working moms that can't find daycare. I've brought my baby to work with us at the auto shop. I mean, that yeah. changes who you are, that changes your priorities. And I think that, you know, we need to start electing people who really look like America.
0: Basically, she's already at work. So I'm wondering, Troy, what's the message you're getting from
1: this? Glusenkamp Perez's message that she's trying to send out is that she won and that she's ready to get to work. She's ready to put this behind us. Kent message instead is that it's this is not over we are there's still enough votes to count in their minds and that it's legitimately not going to be over until it and i quote every legal vote is counted and i think if you are a campaign that is running on election integrity it's not too far from that to to be making this stance that look uh, I will not going to concede until we have every vote possible checked in to make sure all the I's are dotted, T's are crossed. Uh, but the math is the math, and it certainly it's not mathematically impossible that this could continue and, and maybe even still go in Kent's favor. It just so happens that it would be a complete once in a blue moon, spectacular mathematical improbability that it could go in his favor.
0: Mm. Glusen Camp Perez is new to politics. She's an auto shop owner. She's pro-choice. She's for gun rights. And she campaigned to and convinced some Republican voters. What are you watching for as she steps into the new role?
1: I think what I'm looking for from Camp Perez as a freshman congressperson, what kinds of policies is she going to support? She ran as a rural Democrat wanting to help her rural constituents. She was carried by Clark County. But does she still try to support policies that actively benefit those constituents when The Democratic Party recently has maybe put policies forward that don't always work in rural America's best interest. So I think it's going to be really interesting to watch what kind of line she walks.
0: Troy Brennelson is a reporter for Oregon Public Broadcasting. Thank you so much for speaking with us, Troy.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Jenny Cecil Moore produced today's episode. The show is also produced by Caroline Chamberlain-Gomez, Claire Mcgrain, Vaughn Jones, and Brandy Fullwood. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Paige Browning. We'll see you again tomorrow.